This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This week, we got a new documentary looking back at the life of late chef and writer Anthony Bourdain. Reviews are still coming in, but there's one part of the film that's raising eyebrows. There's a moment in the film where David Cho, an artist and friend of Bourdain's, starts to read aloud an email from the chef. Then it fades into Anthony's voice. But here's the thing. Anthony Bourdain never read that email. His voice in the scene was recreated with AI by the film's producers. The technique is ethically questionable, and has started a conversation around how media continues to portray those who have passed away. Joining me is Alyssa Wilkinson, Vox's film critic. She recently reviewed the documentary. Alyssa, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So let's start with the people behind the documentary. Who are they? The director of Roadrunner is Morgan Neville, and most people might have run into his work previously from Won't You Be My Neighbor, the documentary about Mr. Rogers that a lot of people saw a few years ago. He also made 20 Feet from Stardom. Uh, One thing I really have always appreciated about Morgan's work is that he's really good at finding the cultural significance of particular figures or particular events and turning them into a film that is really enjoyable to watch. Does Neville achieve that effect in his latest project? I think he does. I think that for the most part, this film is very successful. You are watching Anthony Bourdain's life. Um, He kind of appears on screen at first as a chef, as an adult, so we don't spend a lot of time slogging through background story. And then we learn a lot about him through just watching video of him. Of course, there's thousands and thousands of hours of video because he made these TV shows and he was widely beloved for his, his travel shows. The French Alps. Lovely Italians on one side, but the terrifying Swiss on the other. They're close. Too close for me. A man with an erotic childhood fear of alpine vistas, yodeling, even cheese with holes in it. We also get b-roll and archival and background video that helps build out a bigger impression of who Anthony Bourdain really was. It also leads to one of the more questionable aspects about this documentary. So what is the thing that's raising eyebrows? So there's really two things. One of them has nothing to do with AI. It's more the treatment of Asia Argento, who was um, Bourdain's girlfriend, um, and they broke up not long before he died by suicide in 2018. But the other piece of this, and it kind of only emerged in interviews right as the film was being released, is that there's actually small bits of the film where you think you're listening to Bourdain speaking, but it turns out what you're actually listening to is an AI recreation of his voice reading things that he had written down. So they're not making him say things he never thought or words he never put in that order, but they were able to use hours and hours of recordings from his TV show, podcasts, audiobooks, and an artificial intelligence engine and turn it into Bourdain's voice. So they're not faking the text, but they are faking his voice. And that could seem sort of creepy because, you know, he never recorded that. Right, exactly. And in reality, it it might be kind of 
banal in this case. It's certainly something that he wrote, something he thought, um, mm. although you could argue that maybe intonations wouldn't necessarily match up. Um, but also, it's a bigger problem overall, because as soon as you kind of open the Pandora's box, which arguably has been open for a long time, but mm-hmm. once you do it in a sanctioned space, like a documentary, people feel like they've been lied to, and, and with good reason. Right. This seems a bit like deep fake technology where you create a video out of archival footage um, and make someone do something that they never did. Is this the first time studios have used technology in these sort of ethical gray areas? So obviously not, right? Like the movies are always showing us things that don't actually exist um, or creating things that never really happened. The difference with documentaries is that there is this I guess I would think of it as a contract between the documentarian and the audience. Um, and the contract says, I'm going to show you stuff. And to the best of my ability, I am not going to manipulate you by tweaking it so that it's inauthentic or lying or you know, just sort of portraying things that aren't true. Of course, every documentary includes things like editing. You decide what goes in and goes out. You can compress time. You can recreate things. Everyone does this. We're quite used to it. But there's still this presumption on the part of the audience that everything in a documentary is 100% true. Mm-hmm. That's not actually true, but it is the presumption we have. Right. And this is a little further along on the spectrum of that. Exactly. And so what we do with this is that we present something that literally didn't exist and say, this did exist. And then when people hear, oh, it didn't exist, then suddenly they're going to call into question not just that choice, but every single other thing that they've seen in the film. Mm -hmm. You know, other ways that it's been used in film, for instance, I think of the Star Wars films. So Carrie Fisher and Peter Cushing have both passed away, but they both portray pivotal characters in those films. And so Disney chose to recreate them. Um, you know, in some cases to like basically reanimate their image and have them speak lines and essentially play a part that they weren't there to play. Your Highness, the transmission we received. What is it they've sent us? Hope. We, the audience, know that these actors are gone. But I do think about maybe 100 years from now, someone watching a Star Wars film might not realize that that wasn't the real person playing that part. And this has also been used outside of studios in more nefarious ways, this sort of technology, right? Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, one really scary thing about deepfake technology is that it keeps getting better and better really quickly. So it's been used to create sexual images of celebrities or revenge porn. Um, Certainly people are worried about its use in the future in politics. Right now, you watch a video of someone saying something, you're pretty sure they said it. Mm -hmm. Um, But that trust has been slipping away. And at some point, we may totally lose the ability to distinguish between reality and not reality. And that can destabilize economies that could start wars that could elect horrible people to office. Impossible. Um, (laughs) So this technology is still pretty new, and it's not quite perfect. But obviously, it's causing a lot of debate and backlash. Um, How have critics and viewers reacted to Neville's decision to use AI to bring Bourdain back to life, in a sense? So the fact that this had happened had come up in an interview um, with Morgan Neville that Helen Rossner did in The New Yorker. And he sort of tossed it off as like, you didn't even realize it had happened. It was a seamless transition. And a lot of people, of course, as soon as this quote hit Twitter, got very angry about it. Um, Some people are just uncomfortable with that technology being used. Some people wondered, like, 
would Bourdain have wanted this? Would they? Would this have been acceptable to him? Um, Neville pushed back and said, you know, I checked with the estate, I checked with his widow, and they said that it was something that he would be fine with. Hmm. She pushed back on that as well. So there's been some kind of back and forth about this story. What would Anthony Bourdain have wanted? What is acceptable for him? Um, and for some critics, including myself, honestly, the frustrating part isn't even so much the use of this AI. I understand that this is an email, that what I'm hearing is a voice narrating an email. I understand the subject is gone. That's the whole point of the documentary. But I want something to tell me that that's what I'm listening to. And there's different ways to do this. We could put a note on screen. Mm -hmm. There could even be a notice before or after the film that in some cases we have recreated Anthony Bourdain's voice so that he can read text he wrote down. If I had known that going in, I would have a different impression of when I'm watching it. And I think for me and for a lot of people, it's not even so much about this particular instance. It's just about a very successful documentarian setting a precedent that could be used in ways that could be much more troubling in the future. Right. So do you think we'll continue to see this sort of technology, this sort of AI recreations um, in movies going forward? It's hard to imagine that we won't. Right. <laughs> and again, that's that's deeply troubling. One would hope that, you know, documentarians who often are very concerned with ethics um, and with truth would put notices up, would inform people when they're going to use this. You know, it makes sense that you might want to for storytelling or filmmaking purposes, but we want to know that that's what's happening in a documentary. Um, but it's equally possible and even likely that, for instance, a polemical documentary made about a political issue mm. might fake a politician or a scholar or a pundit saying something, and then the people who watch that who are already kind of inclined to believe that this person might say this thing would then believe it as if it is true. Um, and this could cause all kinds of problems, and that's really what we're up against. Thanks for joining us, Alyssa. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Recode Daily. My name is Ronnie Mola. This episode was produced by Alan Rodriguez Espinoza and engineered by Paul Munsey. Let us know what you want to learn more about. Email us at recodedaily at recode.net. <laughs>